Are you dreaming about starting to sell something you make, teach or offer a service to quilters, or even start your own business and follow your passion? Today's guest went from blogging about designing and sewing stuffed animals to becoming a craft industry business leader. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and today a change maker in the crafting world to share their stories. I'm your host, Brandy Mislowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. Today's guest is Abby Glassenberg, president and co-founder of the Craft Industry Alliance. I started following Abby's blog while she naps well over a decade ago while I was fumbling away in my tiny studio in Manitoba, and I was dreaming of doing my passion full-time. She has since co-founded Craft Industry Alliance and now serves as its president. She's a sewing pattern designer, teacher, and journalist. She's dedicated to creating an outstanding trade association for the crafts industry, and I'm so happy happy to share her story with you. Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brandy. It's wonderful to be here. I'm so glad to have you because you have such a great story. And I love to start off at the beginning. So let's take a little look back. I've been following you since the early days of While She Naps. Was there something or someone in your life that really inspired you to explore your creativity? I would say growing up, we were always, my sister and my brother and I, given a lot of creative freedom by my mom. She was a pretty creative person herself. She's a writer and also enjoys art too. And she would buy us lots of craft supplies and let us make lots of messes. And then in junior high and high school, she enrolled me in after-school art classes and drove me to them, which was a little bit far away. And I went to art class twice a week, all the way through junior high and high school. So it was definitely a, a very sort of open, creative space to just explore, try different things. You know, I went to an arts camp and so it was kind of always interested in making things growing up. So where are you in the world and who are your loved ones that you surround yourself with every day? So I live in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which is um, in the Boston area. It's like Metro Boston and it's right where Wellesley College is located. And I live in my house with my husband and then I have three children. One of them is 17 now, which is unbelievable. So she's the child that while she naps, my blog was named after. And I started that blog when she was just over a year old. So Mm. now she's 17 and is going, she's almost 18. She's going to college next year. And then I also have a 15 year old and an 11 year old. Okay. So that is the story I want to talk about the beginning of your craft business. So you make soft plush, which I love to call stuffies. I think we all do. So tell us about how you got started in that. Yeah. So I started this blog in 2005. I had read about blogging in the New York times and thought, well, there must be something that creative people, crafters and makers and people doing what I like to do are sort of blogging about. So I looked around, there were a couple of craft blogs. It was a pretty small space. There was probably a couple dozen of them. And I started reading them and commenting on them and there was no social media. So it was really a nice blogging community then. And people created Flickr challenges where you would all create something and post pictures on Flickr and then people would vote and that kind of thing. 
And so there was one called Month of Softies, and that was my first introduction. I had no idea how this worked. I thought you would have to mail your item in somewhere, and, and the person hosting it was in Australia. So I was like, how, how am I going to possibly do this? <laughs> but of course, they, that's not how it worked. You took a picture and posted it on Flickr, um, and every month you would post a theme. And so I started making the different themes, and I was out one night, a date night with my husband. It was raining. We were in a Barnes and Noble that had a Starbucks attached to it. And we went into the Starbucks and sat down and I said, I think I can probably start a craft blog of my own. And that would be fun. And he said, well, what do you want to name it? And I said, how about while she's napping? So I wrote that out on a napkin and you could also read it as while she's snapping. So I was like, oh, I'll just call it while she naps. And so that's, I had no intention of starting a business in any way. It was literally just I was going to make things while the baby napped, which I was doing anyway, and then take a picture with a really bad digital camera that I had and put it on this type pad website. And that would be my contribution. And then I would be part of, you know, I'd be a player in the community. And then, so that was in May of 2005 in July. Etsy launched and I wanted to sell things online, but I had no coding experience at all. So Etsy was a godsend because it made it possible for you to sell things online. And so I opened an Etsy shop when Etsy was still in beta and everything was free. I've been on Etsy this entire time. So it kind of became a business pretty quickly. And I would take my daughter to story time at the library. And then after we were done with the baby books, we would go upstairs to the adult section and I would get the craft books from the 1960s, 1970s, early 80s stuffed animal sewing books and bring them home for myself. And so when she would nap, I would sew something from these books. And I really taught myself how to sew because although my mom is very creative, she doesn't sew. And my grandmother doesn't sew either. We didn't have a sewing machine. I, I had bought one with my bat mitzvah money when I was um, in eighth grade after taking sewing in home economics. So I had a sewing machine. It was a Burnett 330. It was a very basic machine that you kind of find in home economics classrooms, which was a great machine, but I really didn't know a lot about how to use it. And sewing machines, things go wrong. You wind the bobbin, you stick it in backward, whatever. And I didn't have anybody to help me with that because nobody in my family knew about that. So with craft blogs, I was finally able to get advice and help and learn how to sew correctly. And so it was great. And I had left my job as a middle school teacher to take care of the baby, but I found myself kind of needing that adult interaction and being sort of bored and frustrated at home. So again, it was like a wonderful escape to connect with all of these women all over the world who were interested in, in the same kind of creativity that I was. So it was wonderful right from the start. And I always enjoy making things in three dimensions. I think my brain just works that way. And so making stuffed animals and dolls is great. I was making origami, I was decorating cakes, I was planting a garden, I was doing a lot of different things, but that was the thing I liked doing the most. And Mm -hmm. so I kind of ended up really focusing my blog in on making stuffed animals pretty much pretty early on. So I'd love to know how your blog grew from there and how it led to your first book, Artful Birds. Yeah. So let's see our library, the same library where I was taking my daughter for story time had at that time display cases on the first floor. As you entered the children's room, there was big display cases on either side. And as an artist in town, you could apply to have a show, which would be that you would fill those display cases. So I applied to have a show. And right at that time I had started making birds with wire legs. And I remember 
communicating with Lisa Congdon, who at that time was also very early on in her art career. And she had an art blog, A Bird in the Hand, um, a craft blog. And we kind of became friendly back then. And I remember asking her like, what should I focus on? And she was like, you should make more of the birds. And I thought, okay, that's what I should do. So I had really been making birds for a while. And I decided to fill a good part of those display cases with birds. And we made kind of like reeds and like almost like they were in kind of a natural setting. And we put all of these birds there. And, and so, yeah, I spent probably like two years just making birds and posting them on the blog. And all the while I had an idea for a book, which was going to be a book of um, instructions on how to design your own stuffed animal, because there had been a book on this topic, but it's it was published in the early 60s. It didn't have any color photos. It was really old style. And I kept going to the bookstore and looking for the new one. Like, where is the book that tells you how to design a head gusset, how to make the kind of darts that pull legs inside, like how to do all of these things. And it was never there. And I thought, well, it, it, I looked and looked, it doesn't, this book doesn't exist. So this is the book that I should write. And so I wrote a book proposal for it in, I want to say, yeah, 2009. And it was so complicated and convoluted the way I had written this book proposal. It was just like, I had never written a book proposal before and it showed. It was really like way overly complex. And anyway, but I sent it out. I had gone to the bookstore and pulled my favorite craft books off the shelf and noticed for the first time, all of the publishers and made note of like, who were the publishers I thought would most like a book like this, and then found their contact information and then sent this book proposal to, to, I think I sent it to five publishers and four of them got back to me right away. And one of them got on the phone with me, Trisha Waddell, who at that time was at Interweave. And she said, this, I like this idea, but it's really complicated. And why don't you just do a book of the birds? And I was like, oh yeah, that would be really easy, wouldn't it? (laughs) And so I was like, okay. So I got off the phone with her. I literally wrote the table of contents in like five minutes. And I was like, wow, that was so, this clearly is what I should be doing. So I sent it to her. She liked it right away. And I ended up writing The Artful Bird, which came out in 2011 and um, was my first book. As soon as that book came out, I think it came out maybe January. I had that vision right away of how I could go back and make the first idea actually, you know, saleable because now I'd gone through the whole process. I'd seen what it was all about. I learned how to do it. And again, that first book idea was the one that I really was focused on and still didn't exist. And I was like keeping it on the download because I'm like, this is such a good idea and someone's going to take it, but nobody had. And so I pitched that book I had just had um, another baby. I had three children. So anyway, I had babies throughout this whole period of time. I had one in 2004, one in 2006, and then I had another one um, in 2010. So my, I just had a baby and a book, but then I proposed this new book and actually interweave passed on it. They had first read a refusal and they passed on it. They said, we would do another book with you, but we want to just do like the artful bird, but sea creatures. And I was like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> they let me out of that, which was great. And then I pitched it elsewhere and Sterling bought it, which was great. I had a fantastic editor there, Tom, who was just, I mean, he really got it and understood what I wanted it to do. I'm so glad I did it as a second book because 
then I knew what was important to me. So like, for example, all of the patterns in the back of that book, they are layered on top of each other so that it's kind of similar to a Japanese craft book. If anyone's ever seen one of those, but you know, like the pattern is just drawn one on top of another, but like one outline will be in red and one will be in black. So you can differentiate mm-hmm. from them, but it saves yeah. space and you can have full size pattern templates. Whereas the artful bird, you have to enlarge everything. So I yeah. knew, you know, and then they wanted to also include a DVD inside. And I said, no, DVDs are going to go obsolete. We're going to take all the files and put them online. And they were like, okay, so they did. And we still have, and even though Sterling took down their website because they they're gone now, but I still have the, the, the digital file of all of the patterns that now you can just download from my website. So I knew what I needed and what I wanted it to be. So it was actually great that it didn't happen right away, even though it was a little bit frustrating. And so that's how I wrote um, the second book. And so that one came out in 2013. Wow. And so do you have more books than that? Or do you have a dream book in mind that you still want to create in the future? Yeah. So I wrote a book with Annie's, which is puzzle balls. So the animals are puzzle balls that you can take apart and put back together. Yeah. And I did a kit with Quarto that was nationally distributed at Barnes and Noble, et cetera. And it was taxidermy heads of animals. So there's, it's a kit. So you got pattern book and supplies to make two of the nine little animal heads and they're super cute. So I did that. My license and patterns with simplicity. And then I also started selling my own patterns. So I took all of the handmade items out of the Etsy shop in 2013. And then instead I had been in this rhythm to create a book. You really have to write a pattern every three weeks. That was the cadence. So I just kept going. And so I have something like 43 or 44 patterns on Etsy that are PDF downloads. And that's really when I began actually making money as a business, when I stopped selling handmade and started selling instructions. And I also sell supplies there for like eyes and squeakers and rattle inserts and things like that, hemostats, things that you need or that are specialty supplies that you can't just go into Joann's and buy Mm -hmm. to make um, stuffed animals and dolls. So that's what's in my shop now. As far as a dream book is concerned, I do want to put together a book of um, Judaica patterns. So I'm Jewish and I really enjoy sewing different objects that you need for Jewish observance. And there's quite a few other Jewish designers out there. There are two books that are Jewish sewing patterns, but not quite the way that I'm thinking about them. I'd like it to be super modern and beautiful. And so it would be something I would curate and edit, not something I would necessarily do any yeah. designing for or all of the designing for at all, but it would be just challah covers and matzah covers and kipot and all the different parts of Jewish observance, but pulled from lots of different modern designers. So that would be a labor of love. I think the market for it is fairly small. So maybe something I'll do in retirement, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were a middle school teacher and you moved into raising children and starting your small business. So was there a turning point where you really thought, I really can do this for a living. I might not have to go back to teaching. I knew I wasn't going to go back to teaching. That had been all our plan all along. I think when you teach public school and you have one child, you can make it work financially. But once you have two, you're paying more for daycare than you are to go to school, to teach yeah. school. So you're basically paying other people to teach your children while you get paid less to teach other people's children. So that equation never worked. Unfortunately, it's just the way that it is in the US. And I knew I wanted to have three kids. So that that was just no way that I was going to be able to go back um, to the classroom. I, I mean, it didn't really become a business, as I said, until I started selling instructions, because prior to then, the amount of time and effort it takes to make some a, a doll handmade to sell 
it's difficult yeah. again to make that financial equation work. Mm -hmm. So once I started selling instructions, I actually had more money that came in than that went out. So, you know, I incorporated the business in December of 2013 and actually got a bookkeeper, did for real stuff to, to sort of make yeah. it into a, a real business at that point. Okay. And I'd love to ask a few personal creative questions. So what kind of studio do you work in? And tell us a little bit about your personal creative process. Like do you draw everything on paper or are you hundred percent digital now when you create things? Yeah. So for a long, long time, I worked out of our bedroom. So our bedroom is weirdly oversized. It's like one of the larger rooms in our house. I don't know why that is, but we had an Ikea desk up there in the corner and we had an ironing board and there's these little bay windows. So we had the sewing machine in the bay window. And so it was nice actually when the babies were little because all the bedrooms were up there. So <laughs> I spent the whole day engineering nap time, but I put them both down and then I'd be right there. And so <laughs> I could spend that whole hour and a half sewing. So yes. it, it worked out really well for me for a long time, but at a certain point it was like overwhelming our bedroom. There was just like piles of fabric and everything that wasn't done. And it like you, my husband used to be like, there's birds staring at me when I wake up. Like, <laughs> so at a certain point, we really did need to make a change. And we had a, a room in the front of our house that was originally designed to be like a formal living room. Well, I don't know who maybe people use formal living rooms, but in our house, they would just, just end up being like kind of piles of stuff would be just thrown in there. Yeah. And so our kids were getting older and bigger, and we really needed to make the best use of the space that we had. Yeah. And there was just no way to keep this one room essentially useless that was in the first floor of our house. So we did a renovation. The best thing that we did was put a sliding door on this room. So the door closes, which is fabulous. And, and we made this room into my studio and it's really nice because it has a fireplace because it was a living room. So it has a fireplace and a mantle. We put in lots of built-in shelving track lighting, which is really nice. And then I have a big cutting table that's on wheels so it can be moved around and lots of storage for fabric and, and stuff like that. And I made it into really a craft room for my kids too. So my oldest daughter has her own Ikea craft cart in here with all of her stuff that she likes to do. She's super crafty. And then the little one comes in here. I put a mat on the floor, like a clear mat. So she can come in here and sit on that mat and paint and draw and use her markers and all that stuff. And it doesn't get on the floor. So it's really kind of like an art studio and we all use it. But when they're at school, you know, it's my studio space. I have a desk in here too, with the computer, the printer, all my podcasting stuff, a sewing machine and a serger and all that stuff. So it's everything that I need is, is right here. And it's been great for this stage because now the kids are older and they go to school and I have more of an office combined with a studio. So yeah. And as far as creative process, I don't do anything digitally. I don't know how to use Photoshop or Illustrator or any program like that at all to do like photo manipulation. I use PicMonkey. I, I graphic design is not my strong suit at all and I'm not interested in it. So that's probably why I, I don't know how to do it. So I use a sketchbook, just kind of a black hardcover sketchbook. And I try to not be precious about it. So like if I make something in it and it's bad. I just turn the page. Like I just, I try yeah. not to be worried about it looking good. And I actually do a lot of writing in it. So right now I'm working on a new toy. That's going to be the owl and the pussycat from that nursery rhyme, the owl, the owl and the pussycat, which hopefully people know what I'm talking about, but anyway, yeah. one, so it's going to be reversible. So the outside on one side, it's the owl, and then you can flip it inside out and it's the pussycat. So oh. to make that 
like a, a reversible toy like that. I love that kind of three-dimensional puzzle. But yeah, so I just draw the owl, draw the pussycat, and then write all over it, like how to construct this, like what pieces go where and what my ideas are and things like that. And then I just reference that drawing. And then I, the next stage is drawing it on freezer paper. I love freezer paper. That's one of my favorite supplies. And so I just draw it on freezer paper, cut it out, and then I iron it. I sew mostly with fleece now. I really love fleece. It's inexpensive. It's super soft. It's machine washable. Everyone can get it. It's it, except in Australia. It's hard to get in Australia, but it's a really great material. So I just iron it on the fleece on a low setting and then I can stitch right around the freezer paper or cut out right around it and it stays adhered, but then you pull it off and there's you know, no trace of it. So freezer paper is the next stage. And then I make a lot of prototypes and a lot mm. of terrible... <laughs> terrible looking prototypes that my kids are always laughing at because I'll bring it out and be like, look at this. They're like, oh my God, what is that? But you know, that's all part of the process is, is like, oh, right. It can't be this wide. Okay. Let's make it narrower. And so, yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of iterative process from there until it's done. And then I trace all the pattern pieces and I have a graphic designer who makes them digital. And then I have an InDesign layout that she created for me. We pop everything into the InDesign layout. I do the photography step out myself with a light box. And then I've sent out the finished sample to be professionally photographed because I find that if they're professionally photographed, they sell a whole lot better. So even if you're spending $250 or something like that to get professional photos done, you make that money up immediately in sales if it's photographed well yeah. versus me trying to, to do that uh, myself. I mean, I have a DSLR camera. Again, I'm not super interested in photography. And yeah. so it, it, it shows like, I'm just not a good photographer. Like my, my yeah. son is a much better photographer than me. And he's like, wow, you're a terrible photographer. <laughs> it's true. Like I just don't, I, it's not my cup of tea. So I would much rather outsource graphic design photography to people who love that and are really good at it yeah. and pay for it. Yeah. I really love how you have no walls around yourself when you're creative like you you give yourself that forgiveness of oh that didn't work let's turn the page but then you're also challenging yourself to make something that is such a creative puzzle in the end product right where you're turning the stuffy inside out yeah so has there been any type of collaboration or project along your journey that has been most memorable for you hmm like a sewing related collaboration or yeah or anything crafty business yeah anything yeah i mean i feel like one of the things that I've loved about working with publishers is I do feel like it's a collaboration and I've learned a lot from them about what about my work will sell, like what is saleable in the market and what isn't and how it should be positioned and talked about. And it's really difficult to get distance from your own work. You feel like it's so precious and darling to you. And it's, it's just very difficult to get any sort of objective distance. And so I feel like the collaboration of working, whether, you know, I, I've had lots of work published in magazines, I've had work published in collaborative books, a whole lot of different books where it's, it's 29 patterns from 29 designers. And I've had patterns in lots of those kinds of books. And mm -hmm. I think it's always an interesting collaboration because you learn about yourself and how your work looks through a third party eyes. And that information, I think is, you just really can't get in another way. So yeah. I think those collaborations have been valuable to me. Yeah. So we're going to get into the details of craft industry Alliance after the break, but the work that you do now has inspired crafters all over the world to grow their businesses. So can you talk us through your path from while she naps to craft industry Alliance? Yeah. So 
as I was writing these books, which we talked about already, I got uh, a glimpse into the business side of the craft industry, which I think is really hidden from consumers. I mean, there's a whole industry around making thread and there's all these different thread companies and they have very interesting stories. You know, there's just so much there and especially around like book contracts. And I discovered that lots of people had different kinds of contracts than the ones that I had signed. And I had already worked with two different publishers and that those are different. And anyway, I kind of got an understanding of like, there's a trade show. What is that? Like, how does a trade show work? Who goes there? There's all these fabric companies and like, they're giving different deals to their designers and how much are they actually making per yard? And uh, what are reprints? And like, anyway, the whole business side of it, I was like, oh, wow, this is a totally uh, different part of what we're doing here that I didn't know about. And so I just started writing about that on my blog. Like I would talk to somebody and discover something and sort of started to indulge the journalism side of things. My mom was a journalist um, when I was growing up and I was always like, I'm not doing that. But of course, then I started doing it and really enjoying it. And so my blog kind of started to pivot more and more away from DIY sewing um, posts toward business related posts. And so I had written one of those about Etsy in 2013. As I said, I've been an Etsy seller since the beginning and followed all the different changes of which there's been innumerable. And they changed the definition of handmade to say that in 2013, to say that you could have a production partner. So meaning like if you screen print shirts, you didn't have to screen print them in your own studio. You could send them out to a screen printer. Here's my design. I need 50, come pick them up. And that was okay. You had to disclose, this is my screen printer, but that was not going to be now considered mass produced. It was going to be considered handmade. So that's yeah. changing the definition of handmade. So they had a little kind of town hall meeting virtually seems kind of early actually back in 2013, but I went to it and thought it was pretty cool, took notes. And I wrote a post on my site, like, Hey, Etsy changed the definition of handmade. And I had a pretty good size newsletter list at that point. And anyway, so I got a little bit of traction and, and somebody from Etsy reached out to me and said, we would like to talk to you more about this change. And I was like, I don't really want to talk to them. Like I understand it already. I don't really need to like, they're probably telling me to take the post down or something. I don't know. I'm not, I don't need to talk to them about it. But I said to my husband, I was like, if they would let me record it and we could post the conversation, then I would do it because people would really be interested to hear a conversation with somebody from Etsy about this. Yeah. So I was like, but they'll never say yes. And since I don't want to talk to her anyway, I'll just ask her. And then when yeah. she says no, I'll be like, oh, well. So I asked her and she said, yes. <laughs> this was Vanessa Pertozzi, who's awesome. She doesn't work at Etsy anymore. But so I got on the phone with Vanessa and we recorded the conversation with her permission. And then I had to figure out how to host an MP3 on my site, which I <laughs> didn't know how to do. I had no theme music. This was not a podcast. This was just me on the phone. Anyway, so I signed up with an audio host and I put this MP3 up on the blog and it got 8,000 downloads in 24 hours. And wow. I was like, I know I blew through like my initial bandwidth with the audio host. I'd upgrade. I was like, wow. That was cool. So then I started to do a few of those. And, and then by January of 2014, I was like, I need to have a podcast, like a real podcast. I had been listening to podcasts for a while. And so, so that's when I started the podcast and it's been twice a month, the first and third Monday of the month since then. 
But I got to talk to all of these different people. I mean, the podcast, as you know, Brandy, is a great way to call everybody you've ever wanted to talk to and talk to them. So that's what I started doing and, and continued to write articles on my blog. And as I said, I had a newsletter where I was rounding up craft news of the week. And so I had a lot of companies in the industry were like, I want to know what that is. And so they subscribed. And so I had like 7,000 people or so on the newsletter list at that point. And anyway, I had Kristen Link for So Mama So, which those of us who've been around for a while remember, she had a really popular contributor blog called So Mama So, which was an offshoot of one of the first online fabric stores that she ran. And so I had her on the podcast and she and I had a great conversation. And then she called me one day and was like, do you want to start a craft business conference with me? And I, at that moment, had been trying to figure out how to make my newsletter into a paid newsletter for the industry. So something that like a business would sign up for. And this was before Substack. It was really difficult to like in MailChimp charge people like $10 a year. I mean, we're talking like just to get a newsletter, like it was really hard, but I was trying to figure it out. And so, and I had three little kids and I was like, I can't, I can't do a conference. Like I can't travel. I can't be away like one night, much less travel some like, no, but I love the idea of working with you. And I've been trying to figure out how to make this paid newsletter work. And so we got on the phone and started talking and thought, okay, well, maybe it's not an in-person conference. Maybe it's online so that it can be accessible by everyone all the time. And maybe the news piece of it is part of it. And so we kind of started talking about it. And we're like, well, maybe we need a new trade association because the trade associations that existed were TNNA for the yarn industry and AFCI, which at that time was called CHA, the Craft and Hobby Association, which was for a little bit more toward mixed media and paper, scrapbooking, that sort of side of things. And then we had Quilt Market, the trade show, of course, for quilting which everyone's familiar with, but all of those were really trade show focused. So it was really about going to the show once or twice a year. And that's where you would see everybody. And the rest of the year wasn't, there was not really much to offer. So that gave us the idea that we could offer ongoing news, education, and community all year round and online. And so we started talking to people in all different trade associations, mostly outside of craft. So we talked to people in the lingerie industry and the construction industry to see like, if you're a member of a trade association, why, why did you join? What value did you get out of it? What's the most valuable part of it? And then we also talked to a lot of stakeholders within the craft industry to say, if we started something like this, what would you like to see? So we did about 10 months of building. We built the site we put up a landing page. It was like, Hey, something's coming. If you're interested, and and that became Craft Industry Alliance. And so it launched in October of 2015. And it was successful right away because Kristen had a huge email list and I had my email list and network. Mostly it was sewing and quilting because, you know, I come from a sewing background. She came from a quilting background. So it was a lot of people that we knew who were into sewing and quilting. So that was kind of the beginning, but, you know, we both made up our financial investment on day one and we had a really good launch right from the start. So that's how it came to be. Oh, that's so great. And we're going to dive into what's in that newsletter and a lot more about Craft Industry Alliance after the break. But the last question I love to ask before I go to break of all my guests is in the crafting world, what brings you the most joy? Hmm, Good question. I love the puzzling process, even though sometimes it's painful. There's always that moment in any 
project where you're like, oh God, I hate it. You know, <laughs> it just looks terrible. But when you come out the other side and it's finished, or you can just kind of see how it's going to be, there's just a wonderful sense of satisfaction that I think is probably irreplaceable of just like, I made this and it's really what I wanted it to be. And it's not like anything else anyone's ever seen. And it's really a great feeling of satisfaction that I think just keeps you coming back for more. Yeah. And that's probably one of the reasons why you serve your audience so well. Okay. So right now we're going to take a quick commercial. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the Craft Industry Alliance and the world of information, education, and value it offers to the crafting industry, including their newest endeavor, H&H Americas. We'll be right back. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. England is calling. The first tour to England with opulent quilt journeys just happened last month. The first one in over two years has gone off without a hitch, and I'm so excited to bring you there this August. This is a 12-day textile tour of Wales and England with the Festival of Quilts Birmingham. For quilters, this is a huge deal. Close your eyes and imagine the joy of friends, good vibes, and so much fun with me by your side. Opulent Quilt Journeys plans each moment of every trip with the textile lover in mind. That is you. And for the laughter, quilt talk, and smiles, I've got you covered. To book, simply fill out the form at the bottom of the brochure on my website at quilteronfire.com or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767. And we're back with Abby Glassenberg, president and co-founder of the Craft Industry Alliance. So Abby, let's talk about this organization and what you offer. I get so much value from being on the email list. How often do you send out the Craft Industry Alliance newsletter? So it goes out every Wednesday morning and it's free. So this is something that if you are curious, you can sign up for right on our homepage, which is craftindustryalliance.org. And it's got several sections in it. The first two sections are the latest news articles that we've published. As I mentioned earlier, we have a news um, section on our site and we pay writers to write um, articles about what's happening. So like this past week, we did a piece about Nitrino, which is a knitting app and their battle with Apple to get their app listed in the app store, which is really very interesting what happened with that. So that's the kind of news article that we publish. So that's the first two sections are the latest news articles that, that are on the site. And then there's a section that is kind of a roundup of industry news. And so it's business news, it's social media news. So various events that are going on both online and in person, mostly online since the pandemic. And then it's inspiration and motivation. And so each of the sections has somewhere between three and four links and not just the link, it's like a description of what the link is about. So you can go in and take a look. So that's the section. Then we have a member exclusive. So something that's happening, we have a lot of live online events and we also offer discounts on pro tools that you need to run your business, things like that. So we highlight one of those in the member exclusive section. And then we have a jobs and opportunities section. So one of the things that I've always thought was really important was for us to sort of collate and collect all of the paid work opportunities in the industry, because it's very difficult to find them and easy to miss them. And there's no one place where paid work, whether it's submitting a design to a magazine or teaching at a show and applications are open for that 
working at one of the companies, becoming an editor or a social media manager or a sales rep, whatever that opportunity might be, there's all kinds of opportunities for paid work and not one place to find them. So our newsletter rounds them all up. There's usually somewhere between eight and nine, 10 paid work opportunities in the jobs and opportunities section. We have a jobs and opportunities board on um, the Craft Industry Alliance website. So people also submit their own jobs and opportunities there and I highlight them. And then there's a, a little letter from me, just very short, like something that I'm thinking about this week and then a PS at the end, which is usually something, some kind of cool product that you probably wanna go check out. So that's how it works. And we have a pretty good size subscriber list right now and a really good click-through rate. And so there are advertising opportunities in that as well. We have yeah. one ad per, per newsletter. So we sell those ad opportunities too. Yeah, I really love the newsletter. I'm not even looking for a job and I just pour through those postings because there's always different kinds of opportunities. You can connect with the company, write an article, create a project. So there's a lot of great stuff in there. So that goes out Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern. So how can we sign up for that? So just go to the craftindustryalliance.org homepage. You can just put your email address right in. There's a box and you can sign up for it and it will come to you the next Wednesday. So yeah, that's the newsletter. And, and that's a free product, as I said. So that's a great way to kind of get a taste for what we offer. Yeah. Okay. So if you're looking to imagine, start, grow, build a craft business of any kind, the membership's pretty reasonable for Craft Industry Alliance. So what are the membership options? Yeah. So we try to keep our rates really reasonable because a lot of businesses in our industry are very small. A lot of them are micro businesses of one person, like my craft business. And so yeah. we really want it to be affordable and something that you can stay a member of for a long time and not feel like, gosh, this is way too expensive. So it's $59 for a six month membership. And that's a great way to kind of try it out and see without too much of an investment. And then it's 89 for a year. And that's for an individual member. You got one login, you can come to all the events and get access to everything that we have. And then there, it's, it sort of stair steps up from there, depending on the total gross revenue for your business in a year. And so if you're making up to $2 million in gross revenue, it's going to be $440 for membership, but that's the top tier. You get four logins and a lot of the bigger companies join at that level in order to be able to have members of their marketing team, for example, attend a webinar about marketing and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's so great. And once you become a member, that opens the door to what? Right. So then you get access to our member only events and things like that. So for example, we have the webinar every month. We have a webinar taught by an industry expert. For example, a couple of months ago, we had one about TikTok, which was amazing with a TikTok influencer who has over 500,000 TikTok followers. And he was great, Vince. And then this month, it's going to be about how to hire a virtual assistant. So if we're having two teams of like a virtual assistant and a business owner come on together and talk about how to hire a virtual assistant. I'll give you a sneak peek of next month is going to be about accessibility and how to make your patterns, your website accessible with an accessibility consultant, Renee Van Hoy, who's also a knitwear designer. So it's, it's, you know, really good high quality live webinars where you can ask questions. They're all recorded. So you can go back and listen to them or watch them 
later. Like we did one on building a membership site not too long ago, which was a really popular one. Yeah, we've done all kinds. During the pandemic, we did quite a few on online teaching. When everybody was pivoting to Zoom, we did one on Zoom and how to use Zoom, et cetera. So that's the education. We also have courses on the site that are a little bit more of a deep dive. So it'll be maybe four or five 10 or 15 minute videos on um, a particular topic, like how to teach a workshop, uh, email marketing, business fundamentals, like getting your business incorporated, setting up a bank account, kind of the basics that you need to do to kind of get up and running, things like that. So that's the education. And then there's downloadable resources that you get as well when you're a member. So these are things that really save you time where we've done all the research and figured out, for example, one of them is a price calculator. So you can put in the price of your product and it will calculate the fees that you would need to pay to sell that product on Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, WooCommerce. So you can kind of see what are the fees that I would incur if I sold this $12.99 item on all of these marketplaces. And it's basically a spreadsheet that we've pre-programmed. So we have lots of things like that, where we've done all the research for you. You can download this item and get started. One of the most popular ones are we have sourcing lists. So for people who would like to be able to sell wholesale and they need to source all kinds of items, whether they're creating a kit and they need to source fabric and trim and buttons and thread and whatever you need to source, we have all the wholesale sources listed and, um, you know, how you get started with that. And so those are really popular. We also have one for jewelry. So it's not just sewing and Mm -hmm. quilting. It actually is all the different niches and craft. So those are the downloadable resources and and you get access to that when you become a member. You also get access to our craft business roundtable, which are meetups every month. And I know Brandy, you've been on several of them. I always love seeing your smiling face. And so basically this is a meeting where all of our members who want to come get together and we talk about what's happening in the industry. And we also talk about what's happening in our businesses. You can ask questions. You kind of get the pulse of like what's going on. Like during COVID, we would talk about like our shows reopening and people live all over the country and really all over the world. We have people from call in from Europe and all over. And so you get understanding like, oh, I just went to a consumer show or I then did at a consumer show and this is what I saw and I'm going to this trade show and or this other one just got canceled. Like you kind of get a really good sort of finger on what's going on. Yeah, there's so much value in those. I've heard people say, you know, I'm trying this for the first time. Can is anyone done this before? And can we connect yeah. afterwards? And then you get so much support just from your peers in the community. Yeah. So, and I, I was actually a member for a few months before I realized that you could go back and watch the webinars. There's this vault of information in there. And then all of a sudden I'm binge watching everything. So that's really been a valuable thing for me as well. So let's talk a little bit about more about the networking because you have a mastermind thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this was something I started last year. So we're on round three of mastermind groups, which is pretty cool. And it was really because I joined a mastermind group for myself and we actually met yesterday. We've been meeting for a year and a half now. And a mastermind group is essentially a group of four to six business owners who are doing something similar to what you're doing or trying to achieve a goal similar to the one you're trying to achieve. They're not your competitors though. So they're not, you know, doing exactly what you're doing, but they're your peers and maybe at a similar level of business and trying to, to do something similar. So in my own mastermind group, which is for membership site owners, 
because Craft Industry Alliance is a membership site. I have somebody in our group who is a fiction writer and she has a fiction writing membership. Somebody who is an actuary and she has a site for actuaries, people who want to learn to become actuaries. And then somebody who um, runs a site for paint your own pottery studio owners. So we are all in this group together, but it was just so fantastic to be able to ask questions and help each other. It's still fantastic. And so I thought this would be something that people would really love. And basically what we do within Craft Industry Alliance is we have you fill out a a bunch of information about yourself and what you'd like to learn more about, whether you want to learn about social media marketing or leadership or publishing, whatever you're interested in and how long you've been in business for, whether it's your full-time job or your side hustle or what. And then my colleague Kate and I spend a very intense several days putting everybody into groups. It is hard to do <laughs> that piece yeah. of it. We had a custom table in Airtable, which is a, a software program made for us to make it easier. And it's still really hard. But anyway, we've managed to do it. You pick the time you want to meet too. So time is a factor. It's a lot of factors. And then we, yeah. And then we send you all resources to get started. We introduce you to each other. You meet on your own every other week for three months. It's a three-month commitment. And we have a kickoff meeting and we send new resources all along as you're going. But it's been great. And we have people who were in round one who are still meeting with their groups. And they, so they've and, and honestly, it's a great way to make friends yeah. too, which making friends can be hard, especially during the pandemic. But really, I think as an adult, it can be tricky. So it's a wonderful way to just make connections and, and honestly, just bond with other people. So that's been a really positive um, addition. Yeah. I joined my first mastermind in Craft Industry Alliance, and we just have so much value for each other. Or even if we're not teaching each other something each time we meet, we're commiserating about something and learning through it and figuring yeah. out things as we go. So we love that. Another area that I really love in the membership is the area for discounts. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So this is something we've really worked hard. Kate, who I spoke about before on my team, um, that this is something that she's in charge of. We've really worked hard to build out our discount program. So there's discounts there on things like shipping with UPS, or if you're in Australia with Sendal, which is another shipping. We try, we really work hard to add things for people in other parts of the world. It's difficult when you're a US based organization. So that's an ongoing goal. But we also have discounts for things like pro tools that you might need. So when it comes to shipping, ShipStation, which helps you to print shipping labels at home. Or yeah, we've got all, all different ones. One for Skillshare, for Creative Bug, if you want to do some online learning, for Gusto, if you need to do payroll. And then if you want to get stickers made with Sticker Giant, so you can get a discount on getting stickers made for your business. And then we've added to it over time. So there's travel discounts and for a rental car, for hotel stays. And we're always adding more discount partners there so that you really feel like you're getting a lot of value. And we have people all the time, the Office Depot discount. I have people all the time tell me like, I've saved so much money on that Office Depot discount in the first like month or two of my membership that it paid for my whole membership fee and more. Oh, so like it essentially ends up being a wash, right? Like you join, yeah. you pay this fee, but then you get so much in discounts that it's totally worth it. And so 
we're always adding new partners there. Our newest one is um, No Issue, which is a company that creates packaging, customized packaging. So when you get a kit in the mail and the box has the name of the kit on the outside and the mm -hmm. tissue is branded, and then yeah. there's like a gold sticker on the tissue and all branded. So they make all of that for you. So you can have a really nice unboxing experience for your customers. And so we now have a new discount with no issue. So we're always adding to the, the discount partners. Yeah, that's great. And it's almost all of it is online. It's even as a Canadian, whenever I buy something in my business, I go there first and check if there's some kind of discount I can find. So it's been yeah. a great resource for me. Okay. And let's give a shout out to your team because this alliance is, it's a big organization now. It's grown so much. So let's talk about who helps you put everything together. Yeah, I have a really good team and I'm very grateful for all of their hard work. So Afi Scruggs is our um, staff writer. She is the best writer that I have worked with. I've worked with a lot of writers over these years. We have a lot of very good writers, but Afi is truly the best. She is a really good journalist. And so right now she is working on an article for us about NFTs. Very excited. So that's a complex topic, so I, but yes. she can totally do it well. So I'm very excited about that. And so, so that's Afi. And then Kate, who I mentioned, Kate and Kenny, she lives in Colorado and she's our operations manager. So she does all kinds of behind the scenes stuff that you don't notice, but are really important to keep our website running. She's also a, a graphic designer. So she has all of those skills and then some coding skills too in WordPress and MemberPress and MailMunch and MailChimp and all the different pieces that she works on our Airtable that I mentioned for the mastermind group, all those pieces that I need, she, she does. And I will say we, we use Brianne Smith from Nerd Nest Media as our developer. So she kind of helps us with, we just launched a member directory and she built that for us, for example. So she's a contractor, but she's great. So highly recommend Brianne from Nerd Nest. And then Lisa Calixto runs our Facebook group. And we have a lot of activity in our Facebook group all the time. And so she's letting people in. So if you apply to join the Facebook group, we have to vet you to make sure you're a paid member. So she's cross-checking you with our database. Then she lets you in. She moderates comments, she discussion starters and all of that kind of thing. And Meg Bateman does our Instagram feed because I know Instagram is super important, but I personally don't like Instagram. I know it's crazy, but I just don't like it. So Meg handles Instagram for us. And so that's great. And then Ashley, Ashley Brookshaw is our um, DE&I consultant and community consultant. And she's great. She used to run our Facebook group and now she's in more of a consulting role and she is just the best. So I am in communication with Ashley about all types of things all the time to make the most um, inclusive community possible. So I'm super appreciative of Ashley. Okay, great. Okay. So let's talk about what's coming up. You have a big sort of collaboration that you're doing with H and H Americas. So tell us all about that. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier in our history, we are not a trade show. We are a trade association without a trade show. And, and really that's pretty rare. And different folks have come to me over the years with ideas for events, for gathering in person. We did try one small one in New York uh, right before the pandemic, actually. But beyond that, we really haven't done any in-person events. And I am not an event planner that's, again, not my strength. So I knew if I was going to do an in-person event 
you know, a trade show made the most sense given our business, but it was going to need to be outsourced. Number one, it's huge financial risk. And number two, it's a huge job that I don't know anything about. So that made me sort of feel like, we'll just wait, you know, wait and see. And I knew about H&H Cologne. I had spoken with Darren Stern, who's the business manager at H&H here in the U.S. many times prior to this partnership, because we had written articles to help our members go to Cologne, Germany and exhibit at this show called H&H Cologne, which is a premier craft industry trade show for really the world. Lots and lots of American retailers go to Cologne every year in March to source products for their shops to find things that are unusual and different and very special. And then all over Europe, people come to the show, all over Asia as well. Mills come, manufacturers, all kinds of people. And it is a beautiful, really big, really cool show. And so people had always told me how awesome it was. I haven't been myself, but we, like I said, we had been in contact with Darren to give away free tickets to our members and things like that over the years. So he came to me over the summer and said, we would like to expand into the American market and start an H&H show in the US. And would you be our strategic partner? And to me, that made absolute sense because this is the best of the best shows coming to the U.S. for the first time, and they know how to run shows. So H&H is owned by Colin Messa, which is a German company. They actually own the convention center in Cologne, Germany, and that's how the model works there. And then they have all these shows that come in that they own. It's, it's a very different model than the U.S. model, but they um, also run shows all over the world in all different places and in all different sectors. So they have a tire show and a home and garden show, a tools show, all mm -hmm. sorts of shows, and they've been in business for a long time. They know how to run trade shows well beyond just the craft sector, which is one area they focus on. And so I felt really confident that they knew what they were doing. I wasn't going to have to actually like book a convention center and figure out the union. And, I mean, it's so complicated and like figure out AV and all this stuff, like this woo, way too much. Just so electrical they, in each booth. Yeah, yeah, so oh my much. gosh, just <laughs> electrical is one whole thing. So, <laughs> yeah. so let them do all of that. Yeah. and put on a show and we will create all of the educational content. So the business education, which is what we do online all the time, we are, are in charge of shaping all of that. So when you come to the show, what business classes are offered, what yeah. demonstrations are offered, and that, what workshops are there. So we're still in the process of finalizing that right now. And then we're also working on marketing. So everybody who's a member of Craft Industry Alliance gets a free ticket, which is nice. We've got yeah. lots of our members teaching too and exhibiting as well. And yeah, and so the show is June 22nd to 24th in Chicago at the Rosemont Convention Center. And it's going to be great. It's hard to to kick off a brand new show. They're definitely, especially coming off of a pandemic. So there's definitely people who are out there who are like, hmm, I don't know, the first year, should I go? We have a great lineup of exhibitors already booked and of um, teachers already booked. I'm super grateful for everybody who's like, yeah, I'm going to go and try this new thing. And I think that as the years go by, this show will develop into really a strong craft show, that craft industry trade show that really serves everyone. So yep. far beyond knitting, yarn, sewing, quilting, but into all the areas of craft and bring everybody together. Because one of the things that I see with retailers now is 
especially to survive through all that we've been through is diversifying your, your assortment so that you have yarn that you can sell in the winter and fabric you can sell in the summer, for example, makes a lot of sense. And so to be able to come to one place and because of H&H's connections internationally, we have tons of international exhibitors coming, which is really nice because you see things that you would never have seen and meet people that you would never have met otherwise. So I think it's a that's one of their huge strengths is their international connections. Yeah. And it, it would be so nice to attend the first one and then see how it grows over the years. So totally. what's the website people can go to if they want to check out more information about that? Yeah. I mean, it's linked to on our website on our about page, but it's hh americas.com okay great. is the website yeah okay so now it's time for the lightning round robin this is a series of rapid fire questions and it's a lot of fun so are you ready sure let's go okay so what is your favorite notion so i love so notion is that a tool too can i say a tool yeah, here okay sure. i love hemostats that's my favorite um tool and if you've never heard of hemostats before sometimes they call it surgical forceps but essentially they look like a scissors but instead of having a blade that's sharp the blade is just not sharp it's usually ridged in some way and they when you close them they can lock so you can stick them inside, let's say a doll hand that's inside out because you've just finished sewing it, grab like the tip of the hand and then clamp it. So it's held there real tight. And then you can use that to turn the doll hand inside out. And then you can grab a little bits of stuffing and stuff the thumb or really tiny extremities yep. with this. Basically, it's like an extension of your hands, but much smaller, much stronger, and it, they're just fabulous. So I sell them in my shop. I probably have 10 pairs in all different shapes and sizes, and I, I love hemostats. Okay. And this next question is kind of funny because I see adorable little collections on the shelves behind you, but do you have any crafty collections of any kind? Hmm. Crafty collections. I mean, I do love old wooden spools. And so I display some of my stuffed animals like sitting on top of them. So they're hard to find. And I'm not talking about like little wooden spools, like the kind that you find in grandma's sewing box, but they're like bigger. Maybe they used to have ribbon or something. I didn't even know what was around these bigger spools, but they're like as big as your, the palm of your hand. And they're so pretty. I love them. So if I find them, I buy them. I think I have maybe four or five just to put out because I think if you're going to display sewing things, they're such a nice decorative piece. So yeah, I found about uh, half a dozen of them one time online and I was so excited. I ordered them immediately. And when they all arrived in the mail, they were all those little timers that you turn over with sand in them. So I was, oh so, my I was so surprised. They weren't exactly what I thought they were, but <laughs> they were actually really nice. I have them all on display. That's okay. Funny. So have you made any stuffed animals with your children? Yeah, they especially my youngest one, like when she was younger, to, she's 11 now, but when she was younger, they like to draw a picture and then make that into a stuffed animal. So we, we did that a couple of times with her. So she would draw it and we tra trace it onto freezer paper. Usually you have to make certain sections wider because it's just too narrow for it to work. And so, and all of my kids know how to sew, all of them know how to use the sewing machine. Some of them like it more than others, but they all know how to do it. And yeah, so, so she definitely sewed some stuffed animals that way. And, and my other two have as well as gifts for friends, things like that. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say sewing stuffed animals is their favorite craft though. Yeah. That's quite a creative leap. I mean, I can imagine it'd be hard to draw a stick 
man and make it into a, a stuffed animal. So yeah. I could see why you'd have to make it wider. Okay. What was your most favorite stuffed animal as a child? Well, I sucked my thumb until I was 13, which is embarrassingly late. <laughs> and eventually they had to put like a, like a permanent like retainer in my mouth that would stop my thumb from like going. I mean, it was like, it was bad. Um, and my teeth were like messed up. I had braces forever because of it. But anyway, and I had a favorite stuffed animal whose name was Bernard and he was a, a kind of a dog who had bean bag beans in his feet. So he was a little bit weighted. And I used to like rub my nose with his ear. And then to the point where, cause he was kind of heavy, his ear fell off. And my mom, like who I mentioned earlier, doesn't sew. She sewed it back on, but she sewed it on the wrong way. So his oh. ear was brown on one side and white on the other. And she flipped <laughs> it over before she sewed it on. So he, his ear was wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I, so I had Bernard for a long time. Oh, and what is the favorite stuffy that you've ever made in your business? I mean, I've made a lot that I really like, but I think Humpty Dumpty is probably my favorite. My kids all really liked the Humpty Dumpty rhyme and it, there's surprisingly little Humpty Dumpty merch available. And so it's like, <laughs> if you if you have a kid who's like super into Humpty Dumpty, there's like not that many books and there's just not that much you can do to be like, let's explore your Humpty Dumpty love. But <laughs> so I made this Humpty Dumpty doll. He is very squishable. So he's He's uh, like a, a circle. He's just completely round. And then he has legs and a bow tie and a top hat and arms and a cute little face. And he's so he's very huggable. And I've had a lot of people actually make a man and wife set of them, which is interesting from the pattern, but I, <laughs> I love him. And I get contacted a lot by people on Etsy who are like, I don't sew, but I just want this. Can you make it for me? <laughs> Because it really, like, if you go to the toy store, there's like no Humpty Dumpties. It's like, huh. why? I don't know. Has anyone ever asked you to make a cracked version, like after he fell off oh, the wall? Oh, good question. No, <laughs> no, they haven't. But you could definitely embroider a crack on there, or even like I could see appliqueing one, kind of like you know, Harry Potter's like lightning scar yeah. or something. You could totally do that. Yeah, yeah. Good, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, last question: Is there any is there anything crafters would not know about you? Well, I don't have a sense of smell, so that might be something that crafters wouldn't know about me. So probably maybe three and a half years ago or so, I started to lose my sense of smell, and I now have a hundred percent smell loss. So and wow. it's never coming back. So I mean, it's. Far as they know, like it's unknown what caused it, but, but yeah, I, I missing a sense, <laughs> but I always a... say like, if you have to miss one sense, it's not such a bad sense to miss. So yeah. it's okay. <laughs> does it affect the flavors and everything? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Oh. So I know, and I love cooking and I love eating, love eating, but yeah, definitely smell and taste are connected. And so, yeah. I mean, I can taste salty, um, sweet, sour, uh, spicy. So I can still taste those main tastes, but yeah. So it's kind of a weird life. It's just like one, one thing is completely gone. Yeah. So. That might be good. That might be good to keep your waistline in check. Cause you don't have those big <laughs> desires. True. I mean, like you go into bakery and you don't know, like yeah. I do miss smelling like the scent of many things, but one of them is like soap, like the nice yeah. smell of like a scented perfume soap, but it is what it is. It's okay. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. Now I want to make sure I mention the Craft Industry Alliance website again. So you can tell us that again, please. Yeah, it's craftindustryalliance.org. And okay. my email is right there. If you scroll to the bottom, you can see my email there. It's just hello at craftindustryalliance.org. And that just goes right to me. So if you have questions or thoughts, you know, feel free to get in touch anytime. 
Okay. And you mentioned that Instagram is a great place to follow along. So what's the Instagram handle for Craft Industry Alliance? It's at Craft Industry Alliance. Yeah, we're at Craft Industry Alliance pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Okay. That's easy to remember. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to outline the contest giveaway now. So, okay. Go ahead and just outline what you're giving away. Yeah. So we would love to give away a free individual one-year membership. So if you are out there interested in really focusing on your business this year and getting to know other people and um, learning some new skills and things like that, this is a great opportunity for you. So I would love to give away one uh, free uh, individual membership. That is such a generous prize, Abby. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Okay. Now, as we wrap up, this is the last question. I love to ask this of all my guests. What is the one thing that you'd like the listeners to take away from our conversation today? I think the most important element is really persistence. It's hard to make something like this work, whether it's a craft business or whatever it is that you're working on and learning to quilt or, or whatever. And it's, it's so easy to just give up too soon. Yeah. And I, I just feel like so many people who you see out there who are successful and maybe they look like an overnight success. It's almost never an overnight success. Really what it's about is persistence, just continuing to show up and try day after day after day. And eventually really, if you want it to be your job, it will become your job if you do that. So I think that that's been much more so than anything else, been a a real secret of, of the success that I have had has been really about just persisting through a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. That's such great advice because if you're down about something or you make a mistake, sometimes you can get off into this spiral of searching out how to do it better, how to get educated and, but you're not getting stuff done in your business. So if you just make a mistake and then you decide just going to take one more step forward, that's the easy way to get back into just doing the work you need to do. So I love that tip. Persistence is key. Abby, I just loved having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Brandy, it was so great talking to you. I really feel like this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So that was my show with Abby Glassenberg, sewing pattern designer, teacher, and journalist. She has created a platform for creative entrepreneurs worldwide to be a part of a community where they can learn, grow, find resources, get deals, be mentored, and so much more. I once contacted her directly when I was searching out some information, and she took the time to personally give me some great advice on my pricing strategy, and she pointed me in the direction of several resources so that I could learn more. So if you're looking to grow in your small business, the Craft Industry Alliance may be the perfect community for you. And I really enjoyed sharing her story today. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I'd be so thrilled if you'd share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.